All right, everybody, welcome to White Coats of the Round Table. I'm Mike Asbach, and once again, I'm joined by John McDonald. We haven't been able to get rid of him yet. What's up, guys? Nope. Sticking around. I don't know what's happening, John. You just keep showing they up. keep not paying me. Haven't, haven't taken the hint. I got to find my... my I know. I, I figured when the paycheck wouldn't didn't never show up that you'd just give up, but no, here you are. Nope. Sorry. I'm going to keep coming back um, as long as you keep sending me those packs of cigarettes in the mail. Oh, well, that's fair. Okay. Thank Pay you. in tobacco. Great. Yep. Well, I mean, they don't sell them at the pharmacy anymore, so I know you're lacking. Yeah, struggling. All right, folks. Well, we've got another awesome episode for you today. Another interview. We've uh, done a couple in a row. And today we're interviewing a PA named Matt Troop. He is uh, a PA out of Chicago, spent several years in clinical medicine, and recently made the jump to a health tech startup, Memora Health. Hopefully I'm saying that right. And we just, we were able to have a really awesome conversation with him. John and I had a lot of fun with it. Once again, similar to the previous interview that we did with Alex Barker, one of the big things that we're trying to do with this podcast is highlight PAs or other clinicians that have gone into fields of medicine or, or, or jobs that aren't clinical. And I think a lot of times people just don't realize that a background in clinical medicine or a medical degree, a pharmacy degree, a PA degree, an NP degree, that this training provides a valuable skill set that is translatable into non-clinical roles. So often we feel like we have golden handcuffs where we're making good enough money that we really are maybe a little bit nervous to leave clinical practice, but at the same time we're getting burned out, we're frustrated. So it's really exciting tonight when we talk to Matt to hear his story and how he was able to bust through that and in the exciting path that he's now set for himself. John, I, I think I can speak for you as well that it was a good interview and you're excited to share this with listeners. Yeah, I, th- I think that he gives very practical advice. I think he talks a lot about what it was like going through those dark times and how it was really frustrating uh, and putting it into perspective. Uh, we've all been in the spot where we've wanted something so bad out of our career uh, and it couldn't happen fast enough. I think he mentioned it was five years that he was kind of going through this. What should I do? Should I really leave or not? This is what I went to school for. Am I quitting? Am I just tired of what I'm doing? Do I need to transition to a different location? So he did that over a five-year period. And sometimes I was in it for two months thinking, why is this not happening? It's just a good reminder that things happen when they're supposed to happen you force something to happen and it might not turn out the way you actually imagined it. Uh, it it's to me, it was a great reminder to just relax, like, try and enjoy life while you're going through the search or going through the process. Um, because if we're trying to be happy or if that's the ultimate goal here is to try to find happiness in your career or uh, purpose even, let's try to find happiness in the meantime, because it, that light switch isn't just going to turn on when you find that job. So take your time like Matt did, um, really, really discover what you're going into, understand it better. Uh, but I, I want to learn more from him as well. Just like we said back uh, when, when we did talk to Alex, we said that we can't wait to have them on again. I think that Matt is, I want him to go deeper next time with us. What a great overview though. I, I'm, I'm really excited about this one. I think the uh, the secondary goal of this podcast is just for you and I to make new friends. Maybe we're just 
publicly doing this. Isn't that why my wife reached out to you? It is. Yeah. She said I was having a hard time making friends. Yes, that's true. Our wives said you should start a podcast because you both need friends. Yes. They said every, most nights that you have available, we just really don't want you around. In all seriousness, though, I, I think that is one of the cool things about this is, you know, our goal is to provide listeners with opportunity to see different paths, different ways that they can take their career. And in the process of doing that, it means with that we get to meet all these cool people. We get to hear a lot of their tips and tricks. We get to hear a lot of their stories. We get to learn from their mistakes. Maybe there were things that they did wrong. And now looking back, they they would give advice of how to do it differently. So, yes, uh, our primary goal was maybe not socialization, but it really is a cool aspect of this that we're getting to to meet all these fascinating, interesting people. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, I'm excited for this interview. I'm excited to share it with you guys, as always. So, John, do you have anything more? Or should we jump into it? Well, let's just go into it. I think you guys are going to enjoy Matt. So, yeah, let's uh, jump right in. All right, folks. Enjoy interview with Matt Troop. Welcome, everyone, to White Coats of the Round Table. I'm Mike, and I'm here with John once again. And today we've got a great interview with Matt Troop. And before we get into it, good to see you, Matt. Good to see you, John. What's going yeah, on, Great man? to be with you. So, John, I understand that you, uh, after our last interview, have decided to take the ball and run with making these very illustrious introductions. Well, that's the thing. I've already told Matt that I apologize. <laughs> this is going to sound more <laughs> like he's coming off to like a Dale Carnegie speech. Um, but Matt, next time we have you on there, there's going to be trumpets and such. There's, okay, there should great. be something good coming. We'll build way. every time it gets better Excellent. and better. Excellent. All right, All right, John, take it away. Yeah, so today here we got Matt, or I don't know if you want to go by Matt. Matt's good. Yep. Matt's good. Okay. Matt Troop. Uh, he's an experienced clinician who started off his studies at Western Michigan University, where he graduated with a bachelor's of science and a master's of science, ultimately and entering the booming world of medicine as a physician assistant. He started his career in Chicago at Ascension as a hospital's PA and continued there for 10 years. He recently made the leap into many different areas, including his work as a fellow at, on deck and his time as a clinical advisor at Pearls, which is what I understand is his side gig still. But that pushed him into his current role at Memora Health, where he's crushing the competition and making sure our lovely patients have an easy time transitioning in and out of the healthcare system. Matt, it's great to have you here today, especially with your experience in tech. There's going to be a lot of people listening in today who want to know how they transition into tech, whether it be med tech, biotech. Uh, and we just like the ideas of uh, remote work. So <laughs> you're living the dream a lot of us want to. Yeah, thanks, John. That was awesome. Uh, and you, you did a great job. That's, that pretty much checks almost all the boxes. One more person saying a good job. Hold on. I got to my wife. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very short list, so he does keep track. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah in, inside scoop here, I uh, probably only in the last 12 months have I updated my LinkedIn. So that made your job a lot easier. Um, so that's actually one of my first pearls for everybody is, man, my clinicians just don't do a good job of updating their LinkedIn. So uh, checkbox number one for anyone that wants to make the leap is making sure you have a prominent uh, uh, yeah. IO on each of those um, social media platforms. But John, you did a great job. Yeah, it's 
It's been a, a challenge for me. I, it's something, this is a path that I've wanted for a long time. Um, I, much like uh, a lot of clinicians now in the field of medicine, uh, had a lot of empathy growing up. I wanted to do something that felt like I was really giving back to humanity, taking care of p- patients, uh, you know, when they were at their, um, their most critical times in their life. And of course, that naturally led to medicine. Um, the decision actually to become a PA was sort of a little bit of hesitation about what exactly I want the rest of my career to be like. I didn't know that I was going to be forever at the bedside. And at the time, it just presented an opportunity to me um, to get some incredible experience um, and kind of see where, where my career goes from there. Um, so that was about 12 years ago that I finished up uh, grad school at Western Michigan, um, got into a role initially in inpatient uh, neurology um, at the Evanston. It's the only part you left out, John, but that's okay. Uh, I stuttered through it. I saw that you just didn't hear it. <laughs> um, which was an excellent role. I mean, my first, my first uh, time in medicine, I was spending time with patients in the neuro-oncology uh, unit at a hospital, just spending, you know, minutes and hours and uh, just at the bedside with with patients that were terminal and just getting the chance to really connect and deliver on the, the empathetic promises I'd made myself early on in my career, that this is what I really wanted to do with be at the bedside and help patients through some of the most, you know, traumatic experiences that they might have ever had. Um, so did that for a couple of years, moved into hospital medicine, um, just happened to be closer to where I live. And, um, it, it ended up being an, an incredible experience for me for the last 10 years I was doing hospital medicine um, and essentially getting to see kind of every aspect of care in the acute setting from, from ER to hospital stay to discharge to what happens after discharge and everything we hope that goes right. And also seeing the millions of ways things go wrong um, time and time again. Um, and during that, I still felt this pull that there was something more, there was something more to this career than just, bedside medicine um, for so long. And I'd always had um, sort of this, this parallel um, desire within me to do something in tech. I've always kind of tinkered and uh, with side projects and wanted to dig into early stage startups and just get to know like what they were doing and why they were doing it. But all, all the while being knowing that, uh, you know, my, my real focus was this full-time career. Um, so I continued on with that role and, and started to every so often apply for jobs, but get nowhere. I've had a really difficult time networking and just didn't, just didn't know where to end up. Probably like a lot of people listening today, um, I'm now on the other side of this and it feels like an incredible blessing, but I remember the pain of not knowing exactly what was next for my career. And then COVID hit um, and, and inpatient medicine and at acute care hospital in Chicago, we got hit hard. Mm. Um, and uh it was a time just to like refocus. I just couldn't even really take the, take a moment to think about that other problem, that other mm-hmm. problem that existed that I wanted to do something different. It was, I, I just have to focus right now on the here and now going through something that our generations have never seen before. Um, and didn't have, didn't have a lot of energy left over for the what ifs, but as COVID started to, to die down the first wave and the second wave and um, started to take a breath, I again emerged this idea that I wanted to do something else. And, and that entered a couple opportunities, one doing a fellowship through on deck um, that allowed me to connect with other um, clinicians and even operators in the health tech space, understanding what they do and 
you know, what their companies are trying to solve for and how a clinician with my experience might be able to make the jump and help them grow and scale in a way that um, I might not have thought before. And then that led to my joke previously about LinkedIn, but just diving deep into building connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you because of a connection that you you guys know that I, I know, um, and Amy Story, who's fantastic, and I met through OnDeck. Um, and none of that happens without taking a little bit of a more initiative than I felt comfortable with um, initially, but, you know, paid dividends in the, at the end. And then, as you mentioned, in the last four months, I made, yeah, the incredible jump to full-time uh, uh, clinical, or, um, from clinical medicine to digital health, now working at Memora and getting a chance to really, really, uh, I believe, impactfully solve for the issues that have banged my head against the wall every mm-hmm. single day in hospital medicine, thinking we're never going to solve this. And now I might actually get the chance to do that. Well, this is incredibly fresh for you then. This is, uh, yeah. we're, we're having people who've been in their career space for 10 plus years. Uh, we're having people who are trying to get into their next place, but you just made that transition. I think the first question I was going to ask that I'm guessing some other people were thinking was when you were a hospitalist, you said had an opportunity to do this fellowship with On Deck. How, how did that even come up? Were you talking to colleagues or was this offered to you? And maybe I want to tack yeah. onto that. Maybe explain what on deck is. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Um, I can get into that a little bit more too. It was, it was really out of frustration. Um, I have, I not knowing where to turn um, and not feeling comfortable just reaching out cold anymore. I was doing that for so long, applying to jobs I would find online. Um, I won't name the company, but I applied to one four times they rejected me every time. And now looking back for, for good reason, I just wasn't focused. Um, and I think that's a lot of, you know, where a lot of clinicians are is they're at a point where they know they want to do something, but they don't have the focus to understand what that is. And so for me, it was actually probably a, some night back in uh, January of 2021 or February, looking at Twitter. I'd gotten into Twitter, started following a lot of people in health tech. Um, I uh, couldn't, say enough great things about the, the digital health, uh, health tech uh, ecosystem within Twitter and how that can help move a career. Um, but that, that was it. I, I found a, a tweet about a, a company called On Deck who tries to, to push you know, uh, career growth in a new way, in a new direction um, with these you know, intense cohorts and networking and allowing um, colleagues to help build each other up. And they were doing the first iteration of their health tech fellowship. Um, and I just took a, a chance. And I remember the night before I, I had applied, interviewed, got in, wasn't sure this, this was still the right thing to do. I remember the night before talking to my wife thinking, what am I doing? Like, maybe I'll just defer. Like, I, I don't know that I'm really ready to do this. Um, and it was my wife that actually said, you've been talking about this for four years. You've been applying to jobs, dead ends every time, unsure, coming home from work, feeling burnt out, now exacerbated by COVID. And if not now, when? Um, and so that really pushed me over the edge. And it was, I went into that thinking, I'm going to take every call, every meeting. I'm going to meet as many people as I possibly can to make mm. this worthwhile. Yeah, that's that probably took a lot of time away from family too. I don't know if you have kids, yeah, but I do. Yeah, yep. yeah those networking, uh, waiting for those networking calls and those meetings really take up a lot of family time. But yeah. I'm sure you're going to say what, what that turns into. I mean, was it worth it or not? 
Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I'm not sitting here <laughs> yeah. if it doesn't, right? Right. Um, and this is not this. I mean, I share this stat. Um, it was notorious a little bit in my cohort. Um, but like over three months, I think I had 80 one-on-ones and it, it's not my personality to do that. I was such a terrible networker. Um, I was fearful of, you know, asking people for things that I couldn't, I couldn't reciprocate because I wasn't in a position, position to do so. I was, I was the one searching and asking a lot of others. But finally, I was in a place um, where everybody was searching and everybody was just trying to help each other. Um, even much like the two of you are doing with this podcast, like giving people opportunities and tools to find their next thing and then reciprocating as best you can. Um, yeah, so it was, it was, I can't say enough good things about that. Um, whether or not that's the answer for everybody, it's just getting out there and meeting people and understanding what the ecosystem's like so you can better focus your own search. Um, and for me, you know, we can go into it further. I think the biggest thing that I had to learn was understanding that like what my level of credibility was as a, as a clinician with a decade of, of experience. Um, I was unsure how that translates, but I came to find out from conversation after conversation that so many of those soft skills were directly um, translatable to the tech world especially in health tech. Cause I mean, as you two both know, like we spend, we've spent our entire career so far at treating patients. Uh, we know, we know that we know the end user experience better than most, whether that's the patient experience or the provider experience. And so understanding how to translate that into a role that would at some point in time fall into my lap and being ready to say yes to it. So this fellowship, did you have to stop full-time work and go into the fellowship full-time? No, it was a, it was a part-time thing. I continued, um, I continued on uh, full-time uh, clinical work. Um, and some people did, and some of the people in the cohort were founders. So this was their full-time gig is mm-hmm. being a founder and, and, and meeting other people through this cohort. Um, but for me, this was just something I had to do on the side. Um, I still had to keep my day job um, because I just wasn't sure when it was going to turn into something new. I, I started that cohort in April of uh, 2021 and finished it in June. Um, and then as you, as you know, like I didn't start my newest job until um, just about four months ago. So there's still a lot of lag time. I did some other stuff in between. I joined some other communities. Um, I had, a, I've had the chance um, to do some wonderful work doing like as a startup clinical advisor, just through connections I met. Um, one of which is Pearl's, um, a, a drug reference um, app for, for medical students and PA students, farm students. Uh, that's, that's excellent. Um, and uh, so just meeting people and, and helping them along the way and just thinking that I'm going to build as many of these skills as I can. And then when the time comes for, for me to make the full-time jump, I'm going to be ready. Okay. So one thing quick before, because Mike, I, I'm not going to steal all the time. I, I'm just oh, jumping John, at the I'm bit used here. To, I'm used to it by now. It's fine. Yeah, you should. I, I'm taking over. <laughs> so when you are working as a hospitalist, you're doing your fellowship as well and trying to get involved. You said you mentioned that you joined some communities. Did you socially uh, on Facebook, Twitter? Is, is that the type of communities yeah. we're talking about? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Twitter, just being, being more present on Twitter was, uh, has been an incredible experience for me. Still is. Even mm-hmm. in, this, in this role I'm in now, I still um, rely on Twitter pretty heavily for that. 
Um, LinkedIn has been um, a wealth of um, connection for me, which again, for 11 years of my professional career, never hardly opened it. Um, so sort of regret that, but it's good now. Um, and then a couple other health tech communities. Um, I, I really appreciate and love the health tech nerds community. Um, it's a Slack community that you can join with some of the brightest minds in health tech, the health tech space. Um, and then a couple other newsletters that just keep me really engaged in what's going on in the health tech world. And another question regarding the fellowship, a lot of people listening are thinking I'm burned out. Uh, we're going to be focusing a lot on burnout on this podcast, uh, especially into the future. So we're really burned out and it seems like the only way out is to do more right now. Yeah. Would you say that when you started that first step and had to make actionable, um, items complete on your checklist, did that seem like the same type of work that you were doing at the hospital? Did it add to the stress? Did it take away from the stress? Can you tell everybody about that? Because that's what they're yeah. worried about, wondering about. It's a, it's a fantastic question. Um, it, it added to the time commitment, um, but I would not agree that it would add to the stress because for the first time, really, I felt like there was, there was this off ramp um, that was legitimate. Um, and I did not ever think that I really had, would have that opportunity. I mean, I went... I think I mentioned four years or, or five years is really one uh, years ago is when this really first started, but it probably started long, even longer ago than that. Probably even when I made the decision to go to PA school was like, I was hedging a bit, like, what do I really want out of all of this? Um, because I know I love the empathetic compassion side of, of healthcare, but I also love this idea of like building something from the ground up scaling and like, you know, seeing, seeing, uh, uh, you know, affecting change at scale. And those things aren't typically the same, right? We, we interact with patients on a one, on a, and a one typically, and uh, we don't often get the chance to make change at scale. So how do I was going to, how was I going to, to merge those two? Uh, but back to your question about taking on that extra load, it, it, it finally felt almost like a little bit of uh, freedom a bit. Like I, I am on the path now to do this and I'm meeting people who are, incredibly engaged in my experience and want to, to know more as they build their own company. And it was just something I'd never, I never had an interaction like that before. I had been so closed off from a lot of that, just being in that, in the, the walls of the hospital. Um, and so it was just, yeah, it was, it was engaging and exciting in a way I didn't understand before. And I'll also say a lot of my burnout is, is self and self-inflicted a bit because in the times where I wanted to start to dream of what's next in my career, I just started taking on more and more responsibilities at the hospital I was at with no increase in pay. Um, yeah. It was just because I just wanted to learn. Yeah. I, uh, there's, there was a good joke pretty much around the time that I like, finished that, that, that clinical role that Matt would pretty much say yes to every committee you would ask him to do. And, yeah. and that's how it was. I was, I was serving hours a week on informatics committees and medication adherence committees. And because I just always thought too, that that was the experience that was going to allow me to actually jump because that's the knowledge that allows you to, to build at scale is yeah. understanding like the population health type stuff. And also how I, health IT, our EMR interacts on a daily basis with the end users. Right. So I was, I was increasing my level of burnout by going down a path, which was still valuable in 
and being a part of those community, those, um, committees, even during COVID. I mean, we did some really remarkable stuff, but I was doing that in addition to my day job. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny because a lot of us folks, I mean, like you, I feel like I'm a lot like you in the sense that always trying, trying to say yes, not only at the, um, back and call of your manager, but, uh, that definitely sure helps it, but you want to learn more. You want to expand your knowledge and then, you get to the point where it almost, I don't, for some people, it's the Peter principle where they feel like I've gotten to a position where I can't even function anymore. It's uh, I, I'm above my, my, uh, my depth. And uh, the other side of it could be maybe even in my position, I look back and I say, my wife has to remind me if you weren't trying so hard, if you weren't miserable at your position, if you uh, would just took the status quo, you'd still be there. And it might take you 15, 20 years more, but yeah. you might get to the same exact spot. Mm -hmm. Now, people like you push yourself hard enough because you wanted to learn, uh, gained a lot of skills, but at the end of it, it it was hard, but it helped you transition to the to role you are, you're, you're in now. Whereas yeah. a lot of your other colleagues, maybe other people you stay in contact with at school, uh, from school, who knows, maybe they're just going to stay in the hospital system and they might be perfectly fine with it. It's obvious that you weren't going to though. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the caveat too, is like, I, there was times where I loved patient care and um, I'm hoping to still do it every so often, um, sure. you know, stay engaged and, and make sure that even as uh, now a member of like the health tech startup world, that I'm still firmly um, in a position to, to understand the clinician and understand the patient. Um, I think that's where I can, will continue to provide value to whoever is employing me. Um, but also like there's, there's a good amount of people. And I understand that, that, that is, there's still a ton of value for them in doing that. It just got to the point for me and we're 12 years into it and the, the pandemic on top of that, um, and also this kind of lingering, I think there's something else that I really am more passionate about, um, kind of all came to a, came to the surface and, um, it was time to do something about it. Cause, um, just a quick word too, on like, even just being a PA, it's like, I felt like I'd hit my ceiling a bit. Um, I, um, another coworker and I were the two longest tenured people in that department as PAs. And I just didn't know what was next. And that was really starting to, um, exacerbate my burnout and also cause a little bit of panic, right? Sure. It's like you get, I'm starting to get to mid career and like, where do I go from here? Yeah. What did I work um, for? Yeah. And so, yeah. and, and medicine is, is an incredible career because you get to do some incredible things early on and, you know, you get to, um, have a, a ton of responsibility and, um, you know, really do so. I think some of the most meaningful work you can possibly do, but also, you know, there's, there's not a lot of room for growth for a lot of us. We just, we've done the same job now that we've done almost since we finished whatever training we did. So we're certainly wiser and, and I would hope smarter and, and better at it. But um, where do you go from here? Yeah. Well, and that, that completely answers my question. I think um, any, everything that you said, any clinician, you can take PA, nurse, pharmacist, doctor, plug anybody into that. Cause if you're in the healthcare system, if you're in a hospital system, we all know how that can 
how that can mm-hmm. be. It's definitely brilliant. We can have a great time, but it is it's exhausting. Mike, well, I think the I think the I'm tough thing. Digress. <laughs> I I totally agree, Matt. And I, uh, I I am still full time clinical work. I do a lot of consulting, but I still forty hours a week. I'm mm-hmm. in patient care, and I love it. I I wouldn't consider myself burned out at all. But I I still commiserate, or I still you know feel what you're saying because I think so often the the empathy the connections with the patient that's what drew us to medicine and that's what maybe keeps us there even if the job is not perfect or even if yeah. the job is incredibly stressful and i think in medicine it's so easy to sacrifice self for the patient mm-hmm. you know if it's not a job where you can say you know what i'm just going to cut out early on today and go take a walk well if you do that there may be patients that don't get seen or scripts that don't get sent right so it it is tough what I'd like to do, though, for the, the last bit of this interview, I'd like to transition. We've talked about the reasons that you made the jump and how you made the jump. But I'd love to hear about your current role that you just joined um, Memora. Is that how I say it? Yep. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing and, uh, you know, what your role is there. Yeah. And to the, the those are great comments, uh, Mike. I think that you, you, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it's it's an, it's an incredible privilege to take care of patients in the way that we do. Um, and everyone reaches their, their breaking point differently. And thank goodness there's some people that it's going to take a lot longer or maybe never at all. Cause with stabbing shortages, we obviously need those that are going to stick around for a while. Um, but yeah, for me, it, it, it yeah, I came to that point and I, uh, hospital medicine is really interesting um, specialty to be in because you get to understand how medicine, I think, fails patients time and time again. Um, if you're seeing the same patients regularly and you know them by name in a hospital medicine position, that's your, your health is probably, <laughs> probably failing them, right? It's broken. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's broken. I mean, we hear it time and time again. What does that mean? Well, we all know we have our anecdotes that we can say time and time again that um, this is why. So for me, when I talked about getting the focus through on deck and through these other communities and all this networking, what I was really doing is trying to understand where it is for me best to make the first leap into, into health tech. And, um, and that was a memora for me. I, it's been a perfect opportunity for me to take these, to leverage my healthcare experience, my, my understanding of what we need to do better with transitioning of patients from one um, care facility to another or back home. And, using technology to, to um, create the safety net, but also keep patients on course. So what I get to do now is really design um, programs and content to, to do just that. So when, when a patient is in between um, hospital discharge and their follow-up care with their primary care provider or specialist or in between clinic visits, uh, and more at Memorial Health is building you know, a, a care platform to sort of check all the boxes in between to make sure patients are uh, on track with their medications and their testing and making sure they're seeing their specialists and all the while, um, you know, uh, tracking that on the back end for providers. You know, what we've, we've never really had, um, our EHRs have never really given us is a longitudinal view of patient care. Sure. We get episodic care all the time, right? It's always encounters. Oh, which encounter was that, right? We mm-hmm. talk all the time about encounters. And what Memora Health is doing is really taking that and stretching it out into a longitudinal um, uh, journey. Um, now, so I saw fine. that they, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I saw that they um, help workflow steps for these types of, 
I'm going to say work workflow steps is is that is AI uh, motivating or is it is it something that the clinicians have to continue to work with your teams on? Uh, yeah. So that it learns, it says it, it learns as it goes. Can you explain that to us and maybe how you interact with that? Yeah. So what we do is um, with the help of the care teams that we're working with, we help um, design programs for, for what a patient's journey is going to be like after they leave, you know, get discharged from a hospital or leave a clinic visit and all that, the rest of it's automated. So reminding them we use ours, it's SMS text-based. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that, uh, and loved this. And this is one of the reasons why I decided I'm a more too, is I understand that access is uh, the highest priority to me. When I think of health disparities, when I think of patients who readmit to the hospital, a lot of times it's communication and any, any barrier to communication is Mm -hmm. a potential failure point. Right. So text is just really the lowest barrier of entry. There's no portal. There's no stack of paper. It's just a text message. Mm -hmm. Um, And the data is backed it up for us, which has been awesome. So we're sending out, scheduled automated text messages to key patients um, within their journey with it, getting, making sure they're going to their appointments and adhering to medication plans and care plans. And the, and the underlying um, technology is, is AI based. So if a patient has an issue, you know, that phone number can really be a source of truth for them. So if they text into that phone number, AI is able to um, understand what uh, the, the question is and route that to the right person or possibly just, uh, give them an answer um, that their care team prefers to give them in an automated way. Um, so it's it's really impactful stuff. It's powerful to hear some of the patients' responses to a platform like this. Finally, yeah, where, where they feel like for the first time ever they can really interact with their care team on their on their meet in their uh, on their time and in mm-hmm. the way that they feel the most comfortable. Um, we we like they you know we like to say it's always on. Um, and it's true. I mean, it's always there and it's actionable. And that's kind of the, the AI that's underneath running this whole thing in the background. That is, uh, I love it. It's so exciting. Just uh, uh, in my clinical role, I, I do a, a good amount administratively. So I get to see, you know, how the sausage is made. I know how many FTEs. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, you know, what our overhead cost is. And that's the part of medicine that a lot of people don't understand, especially if you're in the clinical role. You don't understand that, you know, 70 cents of every dollar is going to pay for non-clinical work. But my goodness, just even in the way that you're describing it, the the amount of, of FTEs that our, or my organization dedicates to things that could exactly. potentially be done by AI. Yeah. And if we're able to reduce our costs by technology disruption like this, that in turn allows us to reinvest that money into patient care, into things yeah. that will hopefully improve outcomes. So not only does it help where we can become more efficient when we have disruptive technology like this, but the hope is that that also spurs further innovation or further changes to delivery model, because instead of having two nurses triaging or taking you know after hours calls, if yeah. that can now be offloaded to AI, those two nurses can be redeployed to do other activities that hopefully and presumably will improve patient health. So it's and just I'm, yeah. exciting. I'm sure yeah. that's what your company says as well as yeah. okay to their customers. We're not trying to take jobs away. And no. a lot of people are probably worried about that. It's more reissuing them to a greater purpose, especially with our stars ratings yeah. that might even affect our CMS. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, care gaps, there's, there's all these things that we're, we're required to do and also things that are in the best interest of the patient. And a lot of those things 
are done by nurses right now, or even PAs. And, and sometimes if you're short staffed enough, probably a physician and we can, we can remove a lot of that burden and then allow those members of that care team to actually do what they were trained to do. Um, and the reaction when I, when I feel like when the care teams or the clinical stakeholders we're talking to understand that part, kind of just like Mike, like you just said, that's when the light bulb goes off and it's really exciting to talk with them because this, the staffing shortages aren't going to change um, anytime yeah. soon. Right. And patients still deserve a level of care that is, um, yeah, they deserve a high quality level of care. Right. So we need to give that to them, but we also need to do it without just burning out more staff. So, okay. So you, you yourself, when you, when you went into it though, did you, you said you had a background in the, in the sense that you tinker with, with, uh, technology, electronics, mm-hmm. um, something that you always, interested in but something that i am asking myself is the the life in the day so i don't want you to take us through the whole day i'm sure that you didn't want to do that either but uh there are going to be people wondering are you working on code are you high level are you customer based um what is your focus in the company itself uh give us a couple of things that you do that you had to learn or, or educate yourself on maybe from the fellowship that would give some of the listeners an idea of how that change uh, was made or, and how you're working right now. Yeah. Well, just talking to so many people, especially founders who, um, who have been through this before I started, I began to understand again, I built that credibility that I actually have. We all do as clinicians. We have a ton of these soft, soft skills that we just don't know how to market well. And it's been so incredible to finally have the opportunity to show off, I think, what clinicians can really do. Um, What I get to do in my own role is really a wide variety of things that I never thought I would get the opportunity to do. We're still a small startup. um, When I joined about 50 people, up to about 70 now. And there's still just a lot of jack of all trades type mentalities. Now, what's been amazing is um, I get to leverage a lot of my healthcare experience to talk to both our customers and also internally about the perspective of a clinician and how they might use a platform like this and how a patient might interact with a platform like this, all the while feeling like I'm back in college learning, you know, all the other aspects of, of what a startup world is like, how to talk about scopes of work and, you know, uh, how we, how we talk about scaling and how we build, um, you know, a product that can really serve a, a certain market. Um, so I get to engage in all those conversations, which I love because I I'm building a ton of new skills um, and feeling like I'm really prepping myself for whatever comes next in my career, all the while engaging with other clinical stakeholders at um, some of our customers and uh, really actually building the, the clinical content that we're sending out the patients to. So it's a great mix. It's, it's this mix of, I already know how to do this. And also I'm learning how to do it, how to do these other things that I hopefully can turn into new skills um, down the road. So my, my um, advice to, to others that ha- are wanting to go down this ro- uh, this route is kind of like what I mentioned before is take the opportunities within your health system to, to jump on those committees, to learn about health tech if you're interested about it, um, to become a decision maker if you can. Um, it's, it's a little bit more work, but the, I think the experience is invaluable and you start to understand better about how the whole ecosystem works. Um, I got to be on one side of it for a long time and now I'm on the other side of the table 
being the one that's trying to get our product into health systems to make make a difference for patients. Awesome, Matt. Well, here's what I propose for you guys, if you'll have it. I'd love to jump over to the members-only side of things and continue this conversation. And Matt, when we go to the members-only side, I want to ask some really specific questions about how you got to where you are, and then maybe some key pointers or things looking back that you can share with our listeners if they're wanting to take a similar path. So we'll jump over. Listeners, if you want to um, become a member, you can go to patreon.com slash WCRT. Uh, membership is as low as five. Did I say it right, John? You got it. Hey, I got it. I, I, <laughs> I screw it up all the time. So membership is as low as $5 a month. Not only will you get bonus content with all of our interviews, but then also show notes that can be really valuable and resource heavy. But Matt, before we go over to the member side, um, what we like to do to wrap up each show is we like to talk about just one or two personal items. And the reason we do that is as we're talking about burnout, healthcare can be all consuming. So we like to maybe just insert some of the humanity in there and talk about what's going on personally. So as our honored guest, did you want to start? Do you have anything fun or interesting to share personally? And since we're putting you on the spot, you can always defer and one of us can go first. Oh yeah. my goodness. Um, always, always have so many other things going on. I, was gonna say, I thought you were saying always defer. Always <laughs> no. defer. That's, that's what I no, do. I could, I could talk about this. This is a whole other podcast. No, um, uh, <laughs> it will be. Yes. <laughs> No, I mean, I kind of like what I mentioned before is even when I was thinking about um, whether or not to go to PA school, I was like, there's a million other things I want to do. I, and at that time, um, I was like, I wanted to be, uh, I was in a band and I thought that was going to be the thing that, you know, takes, takes up, takes me off. I, there's this joke that some of my PA school colleagues still say that on day one of PA school, I told everybody that uh, I'm just here until my band takes off. Um, mm. Obviously, I'm sitting in front of the two of you now, so 12 years, you know, has passed. Still working this on is, it. This yeah. is better though. Um, <laughs> but I still get the chance every so often. I do some composition, compositional stuff with a friend of mine. Uh, we still, we actually do have a Spotify. I feel like that's that catchphrase where it's like I have a Spotify to promote. But well, yeah, no, you're we do have uh, to link it. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I'll put it. I'll send it to you guys. But it's just fun. It's you know, for the we. A friend and I didn't do it for a long time. Uh, we did it in, in our mid twenties and, and loved it. It's a lot of soundtrack work and instrumental stuff that we really enjoyed. Didn't do it for a while, and then the pandemic actually. You know, he lives in Michigan, and feeling closed off from the world, we just started jumping on Zoom and, and making music again. And I think it probably kept me from even having worse burnout. It was just the idea that I can have something to occupy myself, occupy my brain for a little bit after I come home and feel like I'm, yeah, like the, what every clinician feels like. So yeah, I still spend my time making music and um, it's been, it's been great. It's, I think, yeah, every clinician needs a hobby. So I'm glad you guys bring this up. Yeah. Um, I'll go next. So I was going to say that I had a band that I like to make music with, but you already stole that one. So um <laughs> I think it's something I, so I love mowing my lawn. I got a zero turn. Uh, whoa, so whoa, whoa, whoa. So you made fun of me on nearly every podcast for dad life and being very basic. And you're going to now brag about mowing lawns. That's, that's you, really you, where you're going with this. You look like a dad. That's right. the problem. Fair enough. You can't escape that. Uh, yeah. The zero turn thing changes your life. Okay. I got two acres and I had a push mower. Couldn't deal with that. So I got the zero turn 
And the guy's like, Coach, which one do you want? Blah, blah, blah. He goes, the, you, should, you could get this one. It's made for field work. So I said, yes, I'll do that. And yesterday or two days ago, I decided to take the lawnmower and go through the brush behind my house and just make trails. And it's thick stuff. And I had a great time doing it. <laughs> Let my kids go on it, do it. And they probably, you know, told all their friends about it. Um, and we just, I had a great time. Made my wife take a walk with me after I got it done. And she was like, yeah, this is okay. You know, <laughs> so she's not going next time. Yeah. So later this week, we're going up to Lake Placid. We love it up there. We do a lot of hiking. So we try and get up there at least for a, a weekend every year. So one of our goals, so I've got four kids, uh, all boys, eight, eight, six, four, and two. And our goal is to do all 46 peaks that are over 4,000 feet tall in New York. So we've done one and that was struggle bus the entire way because, you know, hauling four kids up a a peak is somewhat difficult. So we're now at this weird stage where my oldest, my eight-year-old is very into hiking and physically is capable to keep up with the adults. The six-year-old does okay, and then the four-year-old is lazy, and the two-year-old is on someone's back. So, we still don't know what the plan is. We have no idea if we're going to get up a high peak this this weekend because the four-year-old is, uh, he's difficult. So, we're going to see, but uh, yeah, we've got one out of 46 down, so we've got lots to go, but we're in this weird stage of life where uh, the kids are not really amendable to doing some serious hiking. So we may have to settle for some flatter trails for at least the next year or two until the kids can uh, get a little bit older. So that's uh, the big thing coming up for me. That's ambitious, though. I love yeah, it. it's fun. I know we're going to have to, once they get older, we're going to have to start putting together some pretty uh, epic tra- um, trails, you know, five or six peaks at once to get them all. Yeah, once once you do that, you can go to Disney World and see, you know, which was more difficult. Oh, don't even start the Disney World thing, Matt. <laughs> Matt we do not need to subject Matt to Disney World yeah, rants. All right. Well, Matt, thank you. So, everybody, we're going to jump over to Patreon. So, if you want to continue to listen and hear more about Matt's journey and how you can learn from it, jump over to patreon.com slash WCRT, and we'll continue the conversation there. But otherwise, for those of you that aren't joining us, I'm Mike. This is John. And thank you, Matt. This is White Coats of the Round Table.